as I said, with, with, with uh, you know, expository preaching, that uh, you don't have to ask what the next verse is. Uh, you just look at your, your Bible and um, where we left off, and uh, the next verse is, the, is what we are going to, to be looking at. So this morning we're looking at Mark chapter 8, verse 34, up until verse 38. So Mark chapter 8, verse 34, up until verse 38. And the title of my sermon um, this morning is <clears throat> No Cheap Faith. No Cheap Faith. Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to verse 38. Follow me as I read God's word. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man gain? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he, when he comes in the, in the glory of his Father and with the angels. This is God's word. Let us pray. Indeed, our desire, Lord, is that we would have these ancient words that will change us, O oh God, as you speak to us this morning. We pray your word will shape us, your word will draw us to yourself, that in knowing you, Lord, we will worship you unreservedly. May your name be honored as we draw near to you. Give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, at this point, in verse 34 to verse 38, Jesus, remember, uh, previously, what he has done, he has revealed his identity to his disciples. The disciples are with him in Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus confronts them with that question, who do you say that I am, and they confess him to be the Christ, as, as Peter leads in that confession. He has just told them that he must die for their sins on the cross right after that. He has just shattered every notion and dream of what they held concerning the Messiah. Remember that their um, idea of what the Messiah is coming to do is that is different from how Jesus Christ actually talks about the mission of the Messiah, as we saw last week, that they expect the Messiah riding um, on a horse, um, going to Rome with sword, hungry for blood, but the Messiah has come to die on the cross. And so Jesus shatters that notion of a Messiah who comes as a political leader and as a military uh, leader as well. 
as soon as that information is given out, Jesus calls his disciples to come around him. He also calls the crowds to gather near where they can hear. And Jesus begins to speak. As he does, Jesus tells the gathered crowd that there is a high price attached to being his follower. The, the, the words of Jesus in these verses strike a death blow to the cheap, easy, uh, feel-good religion that is being passed off as Christianity in our day. Many believe they can have Jesus and the world too. Many believe that they can claim to be followers of Jesus Christ while they live their lives as they please. Jesus lets us know here in no uncertain terms that such notions are utterly false. If a person is going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a very high price to pay. This passage makes it clear that there is no cheap faith for a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to show you what Jesus has to say about this matter of being his follower here. In these verses, what we see, we see three areas in these verses. Jesus shares, first of all, a pattern. Jesus shares a challenge. And Jesus shares a penalty. Let's take some time today to unpack these verses and see what he has to say to us. First of all, in verse 34, Jesus shares a pattern. A pattern in verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Uh, look at those, that, that, that phrase that he uses, come after me. When Jesus said these words, his, his man surely remembered when he first called them to follow him. Some two and a half years ago, they had left everything to, to follow Jesus. They, they had left family, friends, occupations, and everything else in their lives to go with Jesus. To the rest of the crowd that day, this was a call to the new birth. It was a call to make a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. It was a call for them to turn their backs on everything else and to go after Jesus, to go with Jesus. You see, being born again, brothers and sisters, getting saved, or whatever you want to call it, is, it, it, it is far more than praying a prayer in an altar. Right? They call it an altar call. A lot of people come to this so-called altar call, pray a prayer, and profess to know Jesus Christ. See, true salvation, brothers and sisters, is about a radical commitment to leave the old life behind to follow Jesus into a new and different life. Being born again is about being a new creature. There must be, brothers and sisters, the difference between your old life and your new life. We talk about the BC life, right? Life before Christ and life after Christ, after experiencing and, and, and coming to Christ. We, we, we know on television when they advertise a product, uh, in order for, you, for them to convince you of how uh, that product works, they show a picture of, uh, if you think about that uh, weight loss uh, 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 product, they show a picture of someone who has not lost weight 
and then after they use the product they show they show a before picture and then they show an after picture and 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 what they want to convince you of is that their product works they want to draw you in for you to buy into the product You see, brothers and sisters, when I say the gospel has transformed me, when I say I am transformed by the gospel, I have received Christ, he is my Lord, he is my Savior, there must be a difference of life before knowing him and life after knowing him. He who is in Christ is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, what? The new has come. You can see, you, you can pray, you can pray the, the sinner's prayer all day and not get saved. The, the, the fact is, you only get saved when God convicts you of your sins and draws you to himself. When, when, when he draws you and you respond by faith, salvation takes place. Isn't that what Ephesians tells us? Chapter 2, it tells us, first of all, that before Christ, we were, uh, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We couldn't do anything. We were under the control of the world. We were under the control of the devil. We were under the control of the flesh. We were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, sons of disobedience. And the Bible tells us it is God. It is God who worked out the difference. It is him who gave us life. We, we couldn't do anything for ourselves. And then it says, it is by grace through faith that you're saved. You see, true salvation is not some form of easy believism. It's not some easy believing that leaves you unchanged. True salvation when it happens in your life, will make such a radical change in your life that you will begin to act like a different person. Your desires and habits will change. Your interests and commitments will change. When you come to Jesus Christ and are truly saved, you will want to follow him. Where, where, where Jesus Christ is, is where you will desire to be. Where Jesus Christ is, is where you will desire to be. You will be like the psalmist in Psalm 73 who says, As for me, the nearness of God is my good. You, you, you want to have fellowship with him. You want to have communion with him. You want to walk with him. There's nothing that excites your heart, that delights your heart more than knowing Christ. that phrase come after me to the less lost person is a call to be saved are you saved do you know him do you know christ you see to the saved person also it is a call to a radical commitment to god are you totally truly and radically following jesus christ if you, brothers and sisters, evaluate your life, is Christ at the top of your priorities? Or oh, let me put it 
uh, this way, not at the top of your priorities or your, your number one priority. Is he the center of your priorities? That all other priorities are, 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 are made in reference to your commitment to Christ. When, when, when you come to church and, 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 and there's someone who visits you, that when they come to visit you, you don't stay at home and say, I have a visitor. You say, my commitment to Christ requires me to be with the believers. So when you come and visit me, we're going to church. You, you think about it in line with the fact that you are committed to Christ. When you think about moving from Rustenburg, going to another place, you think about the fact that where is the nearest Bible preaching church? Your, your commitment is about your, your, your priorities are about your commitment to Christ. Christ is the center of your priorities. Everything revolves around him. How you raise your children revolves around the fact that you want them to know Christ. Yes, they can learn other things. Yes, they can be good at other things, at sports and, 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 and mirth and, and whatever. But the fact is, are they being drawn to Christ? Are you exemplifying what it is to be committed to Christ? I was told a story about my uncle. My uncle was very rich. My uh, mother's brother was a very rich man. Um, he loved... Uh, we, we, we actually, when we grew up, we would be chauffeur-driven. Um, even though he was not staying with us, there was a car that would come and take us, and take us to school. That, that's how rich he, he was. Um, he had a whole lot of money. He would come in gatherings and pull, uh, 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 I don't know, you call it a bunch of money. I don't know if that, that's the, uh, the collective term for that. But he would pull jumba uh, in It's like a big bunch of money and he would start giving it away. He had so much money. One of the things that he loved doing was gambling. He loved gambling and he lost every time. He would go to uh, your gambling uh, places and he would lose hundreds of thousands of rents and he would not feel anything about it. And he died. On his uh, funeral day, you know those tombstones, the personalized tombstones? What they put on the tombstone was two sets of dice. Um, big uh, uh, sets of, of, of dice um, on, on his tombstone. And his children were saying they will remember him as someone who loved gambling. Man, I was young by the time, but now I, I think of it, about it a lot to say, what will my child remember me for? What will my son remember me for? Well, what will he say about his dad? My, my dad really loves sports so much. My, my, my dad really loves soccer. I, I want my son to, to, to think as, as, as he remembers me that my dad loved God. His greatest desire was to know God. What will they remember you for? What, what will you be remembered for? Is, is it something that you're asking yourself? Is, is your commitment to God something that they see? 
or they see you going through the motions. He says, come after me. A life of being truly committed to Christ. Look at that other phrase that he uses in verse 34. Deny himself. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. This phrase literally means to completely disown, to utterly separate some, uh, oneself from someone. It is the same word used to describe Peter's denial of Jesus outside the high priest home in Matthew chapter 26 verse 34. Denying self is not the same thing as self-denial. Some things will practice uh, some, some people will practice self-denial uh, by withholding certain things from themselves. Uh, that is not what Jesus is talking about here. Denying self is far more, more intense than that. Denying self implies that I stop listening to my own voice. I stop leaning on my own power. I stop trying to fulfill my own will and wishes. When I truly deny myself, I have no will but his will. I have no plans but his plans. I have no wants but his wants for me. When I deny myself, I give up all my rights and I relinquish all control of my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I live out what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 to 20 tells me. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Do you hear that? You are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. You are not your own Lord. There's a Lord over you, for you were bought with a price. And then Paul says, so glorify God in your body. That is a foreign concept in our day. Most religions and most popular ministries are focused on catering to self. They want people to feel good about themselves. They they want to build uh, up the person's self-esteem, right? The only sin that they see as sin is the fact that you are not esteeming yourself as you are supposed to esteem yourself. That they, they want mankind to rejoice in his achievements and in his abilities. They have this man-centered worldview. Man, where man is on the throne and God is a servant to the man. Even their prayers, you'll hear their prayers, how they command God in Jesus' name. Right? Right now. I, I, you know, they, they have all these things. They are commanding God as if God is, 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 is a servant and they are on the throne and God is, is doing everything that they, they want. Brothers and sisters, it is not about what you want. It is about what God wants. It is not about what you desire. It is about what God desires. Even the desires of your heart, if they are not in line with the desires of God, you will not get them. At least from God. Because I think oftentimes when we talk about the desires of the heart, we usually think about the things that worry us materially. 
I, I desire a job. I desire, uh, you know, uh, uh, this car. I desire this kind of house. I desire this kind of marriage. I desire this kind of thing. And, and, and we think that that is, you know, what the passage, when it says uh, he will give you the desires of your heart, is talking about. The desire of your heart, brothers and sisters, is something that is in line with the desire of God. And when it is in line with the desire of God, that should be what we pray for, right? Jesus, unlike the, the, the way the world views these things, wants mankind to know that without him, there is nothing um, they can do. There's nothing we can do. Jesus is calling those who claim to um, who, who claim him as their savior to make a total commitment to his lordship in their lives. He, he wants absolute control in every area of our lives. He calls on us to disown ourselves and to give him the reins of our lives. The phrase uh, suggests a once-for-all action when he says deny yourself. In other words, we deny, we are to deny ourselves and forget about us. Not only does he say these two phrases, but look, look he says deny, let him deny himself. And then there's another one there. He says take up his cross. Take up his cross. This phrase had much meaning for the people in Jesus' day. Historians estimate that over 30,000 people were crucified by the Romans during Jesus' lifetime. Uh, that means that every person who heard the words of Jesus knew what he was saying to them. You see, in that day, a cross was not a piece of jewelry or a decoration on a church building like this. It was not something to proudly tattoo on your body. The cross was an instrument of shame, humiliation, suffering, torture, and death. When a man took up his cross, or a woman took up her cross, he was beginning a death march. When a man took up his cross, he carried the instrument of his own death on his own shoulders. When he reached his destination, he was laid down and on the cross and that he had carried, he was nailed to it. He suffered on it and he died on it. When Jesus called these people to take up their cross, they knew exactly what he was talking about. And sadly, that message has become clouded in our day. It has become watered down in our day. You see, when Jesus calls his disciples to take up their cross and follow him, he's calling us to die to ourselves. He's calling us to commit to a lifestyle of living death. It is no longer I, in other words, that lives, but Christ in me. It is no longer I who rules, but Christ in me. It is no longer I who is in control. It is Christ in me. We are to take up our cross when we choose the narrow way. 
over the way of the world, regardless of the cost. He's calling us to willingly bear the shame, the reproach, the humiliation, the suffering, the hatred, the alienation, and even the death that may come to those who are associated with him. We take up our cross when we believe and when we live out uh, biblical ethics in our personal lives and in our business relationships, regardless of the cost. We, we take up our cross when we are willingly suffering any attack for Jesus' sake. Not many um, people are truly carrying their cross today. Many are quick to compromise when it comes, uh, when it makes the, their, their way just a little easier. Businessmen will lie to keep their customers. Christians will lie to save face. Church people will compromise with the world to avoid being singled out and humiliated for being a believer. You see, to take up your cross means that you are willing to identify yourself with Jesus Christ. His death, his word, regardless of what it costs you personally, uh, publicly, or financially. That's not a side of Christianity you hear very often, is it? It isn't popular to talk about sacrifice these days. It is not popular to talk about death and suffering. But that is what Christianity is all about. There is no cheap faith, brothers and sisters. There is no cheap faith. But there is a high price to pay for being a genuine disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just ask Paul, as an apostle, in, in contrast with what the apostles of today, uh, you know, are, are characterized by, Paul speaks of a, of a life of following Christ and his experiences of having followed Christ and Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. I'm going to read up until verse 28. He says, he says uh, Are there any servants of Christ? I am a better one. Am I talking like a madman? With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one, 39 lashes. Three, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many, sleeps, uh, many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me on, of my anxiety for all the churches. It will cost you everything to follow Christ. You see, it doesn't cost you anything to come to Christ, to be saved by him. <laughs> but as a Christian, it will cost you everything. 
you are to commit your life to him. You are, there's no part of your life that the Lord is not Lord of. I mean, you, you, it wouldn't make sense if a, if a landlord, uh, you rented a house, and uh, he gave you the house, and he said, oh, this house is yours, but you cannot get in this room and in this room, and you're paying for the whole house. It wouldn't make sense, right? To give your life to the Lord and say, 70% belongs to you. 30% I do whatever I want. It doesn't make sense. You see, Jesus is not a stakeholder in your life where he holds a 50% stake or 70% stake. He wants 100%. By the way, the phrase um, to, to carry the cross also suggests a once-for-all action. I am to take up my cross and never lay it down until I reach the place of my death. Notice that you don't just carry your cross. He says, carry your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. That the true disciple of Jesus Christ turns his back on himself and on his old life. The, the true disciple of Jesus Christ takes up his cross and is willing to lay down everything for the glory of God. The true disciple of Jesus takes his place behind the Lord and he follows Jesus wherever he leads. The true disciple walks in total obedience and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. This phrase suggests an ongoing action. right? Jesus is calling his people to be constant followers. Some people follow on Sunday but take a different path on Monday. Some people follow the Lord when they need help but take a different path when things get better. That is not what the Lord is looking for. Jesus is calling for his people to make a radical commitment to follow him all the time, all the way to the very end of their lives. What I'm trying to teach you today is that there, are no, there, there, there is no cheap faith in this thing called Christianity. It, it costs something to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And only those willing to follow him all the way have the goods Jesus Christ calls us to follow him. Can you honestly say, can you honestly say that you are totally committed to Jesus when other things in your life come before him? Can you honestly say that you are following him when you do as you please, when you please? Can you honestly say that you are bearing your cross when you can't even be faithful to come to church regularly. Isn't it about time, brothers and sisters, that God's children examined the priorities, their, their priorities, so that Jesus Christ and his will came first? You see, the price of discipleship is high, isn't it? There, there, there really is no cheap faith. If you think you can pray a simple prayer and go to heaven while you still live your life as you please, you are deceiving yourself. If, if you think that going to church and doing a few religious things are enough to secure you a home in heaven, you are deceiving yourself. Genuine salvation is about a radical commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the key word, isn't it? Lord. 
when you come to him for salvation, you are giving all, all, of, all of your rights to him. You are surrendering to his kingship over yourself. You see, with Jesus Christ, there is no democracy. Your life belongs to him. You are surrendering to his kingship. You are making a radical, eternal commitment to live as he sees fit. You see, genuine salvation is by faith, uh, uh, by grace through faith alone, but it produces drastic changes in the lives of those who receive him. That's what Martin Luther said. Martin, Martin Luther said that salvation is by faith, but the faith that saves is never alone. Right? It is by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. In other words, what he means is that you are truly saved by faith, but an indication that you are saved by faith is when your faith bears fruits in accordance with your salvation. Uh, look secondly there in verse 35 to verse 37. Jesus shares a challenge here. These three verses are designed to teach us that the spiritual side of our lives is far more important than the material side. That is not uh, the way most people think. Most people live their entire lives trying to care for their physical and material needs they have in life while they give little attention to the spiritual side of life. Jesus wants us to know that only the spiritual side of life really matters in the end. We were talking with uh, uh, Pastor Nyoni yesterday that it seems that in South Africa every household has a funeral plan, <laughs> which, is, which is true. We are always preparing for the physical. We are always preparing for the physical, but hardly for the spiritual. Look at verse 35. We see that the way to save your life is to lose it. This verse is a paradox, right? It's a paradox. A paradox is a statement that seems to be contradictory, but it is not. It is still true. Jesus says that if you believe that having your own way, living life on your own terms, and, and being your own Lord is more important than surrendering to his lordship, you will lose your life. However, if you live... If, if you will yield your life to him, giving up total control over all you have and all to him, you will actually save it. From a human perspective, this makes no sense, right? But from, a, from heaven's point of view, nothing else makes sense. You have a choice. You can live your life as you see, see fit. You can refuse to come to Jesus for salvation. You can call all the shots. You can be your own boss. You can do as you please, living your life on your own terms. But in the end, make no mistake about it, you will lose your life. When you reach the end of, of, of your way, you will find that there is nothing but an eternity in hell waiting for you. On the other hand, you can commit your life to Jesus. You can deny your own will, give up all your rights, surrender to his lordship and follow him and let him call the shots at the end of the way his way you'll find the door of heaven swung wide open for you so in the economy of God losers are keepers those who lose their lives by giving them up for Jesus are winners in the end 
while those who live their, their, uh, uh, for this life alone lose everything in the end. Now the question is, what kind of ending do you anticipate? And there is no cheap faith, brothers and sisters. In verse 36, Jesus asks a powerful question here. Think about it just for a moment. Imagine that you possess the whole world and all the riches in it, right? Like, like my uncle. Um, you know, you, you, you imagine that you can do anything you wanted to do, be anything you wanted to be, and go anywhere you wanted to go. Imagine that you were the absolute ruler of, of all things material. It sounds like a dream, a, 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 a dream life, doesn't it? In fact, sadly, parents spend their whole lives preparing their children for this. They, they spend their whole life preparing their children for this. Now imagine at the end of that experience of having, having and doing as you please that you at the end die. Now imagine that after death you find yourself in hell forever. With those few years, even decades of pleasure be worth an eternity in hell? Will you be in hell and say, it was so worth it? Jesus told a story about a man who experienced such a fate in Luke chapter 16, verse 19 to 31. That man lived his life in the lap of luxury, and then he died and went to hell. When he arrived there, all the money, all the pleasure, all the power, all the accolades, all the fame he had that he had enjoyed in this life were useless to him in hell. He had lost his soul. He lost everything. Let's be realistic. Most people in this room will never know what it's like to possess riches, to possess power and the ability to do as you please. So imagine that you live your life doing all the things that you want to do and you reach the end of your life and die. You have worked hard all of your life. You have done uh, you, you have done without endured hardship and suffered but you have lived life on your terms then you die and still go to hell where is the profit in that what have you gained you've gained nothing but you lost everything you lost everything that's why you need to come to Jesus and you need to do it today Jesus asked another powerful question in verse 37 what is the worth of your soul? Before you answer that question, let me remind you that your soul is the only part of you that will live forever. Your body will die and be buried, but your soul will live in either heaven or in hell. So what is the worth of your soul? Are you willing to trade your eternal soul for some alcohol or drugs? Are you willing to trade your soul for some sexual relationship? Are you willing to trade your soul for the right to do as you please and live life on your own terms? Are you willing to spend eternity in hell for a few years of being your own God? If you are lost, that is exactly what you are doing. You are trading the most valuable possession you have for the trinkets of this world. You have, brought, you have bought into the lie of the devil. You know, going to lose all you have and, uh, uh, you know, for a place in hell. Listen to this preacher. It's not too late to change the road you are on. Come to Jesus today 
and trade this world for a permanent eternal relationship with him trade hell for heaven today in about um, AD 1000 uh, the tomb of Charlemagne the king of, of, of the Franks was opened the, the, the great king had, had been dead for 108 years when his tomb was opened when they opened his tomb they found great treasure right but they also encountered an amazing sight when they saw they saw the skeleton of Charlemagne sitting on a throne with a crown still sitting on the skull and the bony hands of that skeleton was a in the bony hands of that skeleton was the uh, uh, was a copy of the gospels a bony finger was pointing to this text what shall a man profit what shall he profit a man if he gains the world and loses soul for what shall a man give in exchange for his soul his finger was on that text Charlemagne was a great king but in the end nothing of none of that mattered when it came time for him to die he left his robe he left his riches his royalty behind and he went out in eternity to meet his God when you and I reach the end of our eternal earthly journey nothing we have achieved or accumulated in this life will matter nothing will matter all that will matter in that hour in our relationship with the Lord Jesus all that will matter is that we will we, we, we willingly lost our lives to his will so that we might live through him what will you find at your journey's end what will you find let's look lastly Jesus speaks of a penalty Jesus speaks of a penalty in verse 38 Jesus has a word here for those who reject his message he refers to those who are ashamed of him and his words the word ashamed in in in, in this context means unwilling or restrained because of fear of shame ridicule or disapproval it refers to those who will not come to Jesus for salvation or who will not follow him because they refuse to accept him or his message when a person comes to Jesus and begins to follow him there is a price to pay that the believer rejects the world and its ways choosing instead to walk with Jesus the believer must be willing to be persecuted reproached and even hated for the cross of Christ you see not everyone is willing to pay that such a price or those who refuse to come to Jesus and live a separated life prove that they, uh, they, they want no part of him and his message. The, these people face a terrible judgment when, when, when Jesus comes. Just as they have refused to acknowledge him, he will refuse to acknowledge them. They will face him in judgment and he will cast them in hell. They will hear those dreadful words, depart from me. I never knew you. The true believer must suffer and may suffer in this life. But the true believer will enter the joys of heaven when this life ends. The lost person, on the other hand, might enjoy the best this world has to offer. But when this life is ended, they will face God in judgment and spend eternity in hell. 
which ending would you prefer? Which ending would you prefer? There is no cheap faith in the body of Christ. It costs everything to be a true believer. It costs everything to be a genuine disciples of Christ. True Christianity demands our all. Genuine discipleship demands nothing else than that we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus all the way, even to death if necessary. You see, joining a church will cost you nothing, but coming to Christ will cost you everything. There is no cheap faith in Jesus Christ, but every place in him is priceless. For those willing to pay the price, there's a home in heaven and and eternal glory. For, for, for those who shrink back from the shame of the cross, there is nothing but judgment. Has the Lord spoken to your heart today? Are you saved by his grace? Are you as committed to Jesus as these verses teach that you should be? Let's obey him as he calls us to obey him today. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, the idea of taking up the cross and following you might not sound nice for our flesh. Our flesh, by default, seeks comfort. It seeks to escape pain. It seeks to escape shame, ridicule. Help us, O Lord, to be truly committed to you, that none of these things will matter that we should come to the end of ourselves and truly commit our lives to you. Lord, I pray for those who do not know you, those who are probably watching the broadcast as well, those who are listening this morning. I pray that, Lord, you will speak to their hearts, that they will hear that sweet voice in their hearts follow me. May you be glorified in drawing people to yourself, even in our midst, O Lord. In Jesus' blessed name, amen.